0: Liberty down please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get them off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the duck you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows it's don't get treated like a hoe.
1: Today's episode is with Jeffrey A. Tucker. He is a phenomenal writer, scholar, philosopher, thinker Just everything I could possibly want in a guest He has been on the forefront doing the actual work to counter the lockdown narratives He has been my favorite follow on Twitter for the past year And I am thrilled to have had the opportunity to speak to him I did not write down any questions because I knew A man who wrote a book titled Liberty or Lockdown Yeah, we had plenty to talk about I want to thank Isaac Morehouse for setting this up. He is uh, obviously a friend of mine, but also the sponsor for tonight's episode, and that is crash.co forward slash daily. Go there to sign up for the daily job hunt. It is a once daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some inspiration, some information, a kick in your ass to get you going, to find that job of your dreams, to be a better applicant, to start that business of your dreams, to get on a better path. A more economically sound path So that you can be a fighter When we need you most And boy are we gonna need ya Again go to crash.co Forward slash daily I've been saying backslash all this time Incorrectly because I don't know how to read Apparently Anyways go to crash.co Forward slash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt Again it's free So if you are looking for a job That's your starting place Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown Got a special guest with me today I am thrilled to talk to Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. He's the author of Liberty or Lockdown, A Man After My Own Heart. <laughs> aboard, sir.
2: Yeah, I. you know, it's funny, your name of your podcast is like, yeah, I've heard that before.
1: <laughs> You're right. I, <laughs> I swear I didn't steal it from you. But uh, I think it just, <laughs> we came to the same natural conclusion that this was oh, an important, important yeah. topic. So I, I'd like to know a little bit about your inspiration for why why you wrote it, and uh, any takeaways you had just to get us. Well, trying. you know, uh,
2: what's funny about this word lockdown is it kind of sums up everything that we're against. Uh, and that's good. Uh, you know, it's a word that entered into the, it's not a neologism, but it entered into the vernacular sometime in, in 2020 when, when uh, because of the virus, we had to lock down. And, um, and I, I kind of seized on the word because, you know, it, it sums up, it sounds terrible. A human being should not be obviously locked down, you know. That's what you do to, for, for for prisoners and that sort of thing, you know, in the event of a riot. <laughs> exactly. So I thought it was a real opportunity for us to clarify. By us, I mean people who do have an appreciation for the centrality of human rights and liberties and social, social and economic organization. Uh, an opportunity for us to clarify our messaging, which I think you know has been goofed up a little bit over the years. Uh, this is what we're against, you know, and 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 so what do we mean by lockdowns? Would, you know, it's everything that happened to us in, in 2020. It's, you know, the um, you know the stay-at-home orders, obviously, were some of the most egregious, but the travel restrictions and the mandatory closures of businesses and, you know, telling people they can't go to church, can't, you know, you can't gather in, in groups or government's going to determine how many people can hang out together in a, in a single room. But it, it extends even to... Uh, you know, uh, things like, you know, the uh, mandates on what kind of clothing you can wear, which we haven't had in this country since uh, the colonial period, you know, banned buckles on shoes, you know, in the name of sumptuary laws. Um, and the, the uh, stigmatization of, of people based on their disease status or, or their vaccine status, um, uh, the uh, dividing of the country, according to castes, you know, uh, segregation, you're essentially you're not. Hospitals can be used for this, but they can't be used for that. You know that's that's a form of, of central planning where the government presumes to know things that it just simply cannot know. Um, but, it, but 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 it, it but it also touches on the issue of censorship. You know what you can say and what you can't say. Uh, so in a, in a way, the word lockdown is is a good addition to the English you know, language and, and common usage because it describes everything we're against. So I, I mean it, the broadest sense of lockdown, you know? Your liberties, you're no longer free in this sector or that sector. You can't walk around without a strapping of a piece of cloth in your face, or you can't leave your home, you can't travel. You have to provide an excuse for why you are uh, why you want to uh, gather with 10 people, you know? And, I mean, it's incredible to think that all this happened to us, that in our own homes, we couldn't have more than 10 people uh, in them, you know, so you couldn't hold a a party to watch football. Or, you know... um, Or go to church. (laughs) Yeah, During Easter, I thought there was going to be a revolution. There wasn't. Um, But, you know, I rewatched a message the other night that from Biden, I guess it was in March or April or something this year, maybe it was June. I don't know, I think it must have been April or may uh, where he said by the 4th of July you'll be able to meet outside for a cookout with several families. (laughs) I was like dude you know we are so past that at this point. (laughs) Plus it's not up to him as president to determine you know what we do. We need to we need to get straight on these points.
1: Yeah well I mean it's not up to him and and you're right that the vast majority of this country in my opinion has already stopped listening to the Fauci's of the world and they have started to live more normally. However There is a genuine divide in this country where there is a significant percentage of this population that abides by every single dictate that rolls out, no matter how absurd it is, no matter how falsifiable it is. And I I don't know about you, but I was stunned and call me naive, but I did not expect people to accept this. Um, I really would have thought, had you told me in 2019 that this was even a potential, I would have said there would be a violent civil war. There is no way... The American people will allow their businesses right. to be closed. It seemed like an right. impossibility to me. Did you right. did you have any better sense that that people were this easily propagandized? No,
2: I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't realize how fragile liberty was. In fact, it's changed my mind about a lot of things because, you know, I spent a good part of my career, you know, uh, thinking about, arguing about, and focusing on details, theoretical details of. You know the application of the principle of liberty and how it pertains to—I don't know—you name the issue, right. intellectual property rights. You know,
1: are you? You've covered. Uh, you've covered the gamut.
2: Yeah, yeah. Consequential consequentialism versus, versus deal ontological concerns, and you know all this nonsense. I mean, it's not nonsense; it's serious. But what I hadn't realized is that we hadn't even got the the, the basics right—that that there are certain inalienable rights. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I hadn't realized just how fragile it was, and how many, and and how. Uh, there was a hair trigger out there that you just had to figure out what it was uh, you know what was the thing that would cause people to just acquiesce to um, a life of masters and, and and serfs you know what 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 is the thing that would unleash? you know, the, the bureaucrats to disregard this, their legislatures, uh, disregard the constitution, you know, disregard, you know, everything, you know, whether it's free speech or freedom of movement, or disregard everything we thought we believed in. What is the, what is the trigger? And I think in the past, you know, we've seen other crises like, uh, that cause people to give up their liberties, you know, like- uh, uh, War on terror. Terror. Yeah, for, for war and fear of terrorism and, you know, oh, communism's coming. Um, yeah, man, we could probably go through a list.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I mean, I think climate change has, has been to some extent, you know, uh, like that, you know, this is sort of um, trying to get people whipped up in a frenzy to, to give up their liberties. Um, but what had not been tried really in our lifetimes was this disease panic. And so that is a very interesting one because it really taps into something really primal, um, our desire to survive. And, and this weird fear that was latent, I think, in many people, that there's a germ out there that's 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 wafting, you know, towards us. And our only uh, solution was to get away from it. You know, we have to remember that, like, in, in causes of death, pathogenic diseases like this, you know, virus and bacteria, have been, you know, on the dramatic decline for really hundreds of years, but especially over the, over the last hundred years. And it's just, it's, it's on the list of top 12, but it's not really uh, you know, a persistent problem where we've through therapeutics and antibiotics were just, you know, the, the great thing, you know, that we've done, and also through better immune systems, you know, uh, sure, scaling sure. up and, uh, we've gotten, you know, healthier and, and better at this. So we have to, the main thing was the main things we have to worry about now, in addition to, you know, cancer, which is, you know, egregious for things like heart disease and diabetes and things, things that, uh, and, um, accidents, you know, and, um, uh, drug overdoses, So by and large, the things that we do to ourselves, not things that just sort of randomly happen to us. Uh, so, pathogenic uh, disease like this is not something that has really consumed, you know, s- several generations. I mean, ever since the eradication of smallpox and and uh, the controlling of of polio and and that sort of thing, um, we've not really worried about. It. So, we don't really have experience with these things.
1: Do you um, think that's why they overreacted so so severely? Just because it was. Kind of novel in in our lifetimes.
2: Okay, that's a that's a really big question. You know, uh, what does it mean to overreact? I mean, I think I think the real problem here really traces to a belief in uh, the power of government to contain. Um, and and what's interesting about this because everybody is you know forever arguing who's right, you know, Trump or Fauci or this person or that person. The one thing that everybody seemed to agree on from from January all the way through. Uh, the middle of March when lockdowns happened was that the, the disease can and should be contained. And mm-hmm. so that was so, and so once containment failed, then mitigation came along and one step after mitigation came lockdowns. So um, that, that it was ultimately an intellectual failing. Uh, I'm, I'm reading an ex- really an extraordinary book right now. I, I just, I, I highly recommend it to you. Um, I mean, it's, it's really bad, but it's also really good. It's, it's called, uh, nightmare scenario by two Washington Post reporters that are mm. that are really digging through, and it's, it's, it's just the reason I say it's good is that the reporting is outstanding. Even if the the political bias is absolutely insufferable, you have to just delete that as you're reading sure. because you know Fauci is a saint and Trump is a science <laughs> denying idiot, ignoramus, right. whatever. I mean, throughout it's like, oh, thanks a lot for telling us that. But what what is common with all these with all these people, and Trump and Fauci were in complete agreement on this. I would add a footnote to that only in the sense that fauci is a lot more sophisticated he knew uh from from late january and early february that 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 this disease would have to um circulate and that it would have to become endemic i mean he he knew that and it would he knew that
1: containment would fail
2: yeah he did and he also was against panic but i think at some point so even It's very interesting to read this book because what you get is a sense of people that believe because they're part of government, they, because uh, they inhabit these big bureaucracies and have titles and have big incomes and, and it's the culmination of a lifetime, you know, to work for the CDC, the NIH, the, yeah. uh, the White House, that, um, that for some reason, that confers upon them s- special knowledge, uh, responsibility, and power mm-hmm. to deal with everything. And you know the fact that it's never been true in the whole history of humanity that you could contain such you know such a virus as a coronavirus, res- res- respiratory virus of, of this sort. You know, ten thousand bits of which can live on the head of a pen you know, and which you cannot see, uh, which spread uh, not not so much through surfaces, but simply through human contact. Uh, Mr. Tucker,
1: are you telling me that a a cloth mask doesn't stop that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't. uh, Well, the other thing that's uh, like, so here's what's weird. This presumption that human power and intelligence could outsmart the virus and, and contain it through controls, cops, um, quarantines um, and and management of, of the human population, it 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 it's 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 a presumption that was built in to disease planning for the better part of fifteen years, mm-hmm. and and that is the error. I mean that is the fundamental fallacy here. And I don't care if you're Trump or or, or Fauci or Redfield or you know these other guys at CDC or Walensky now or Biden, they all like despite all evidence have to believe that and i keep asking my questions like why did they ha- why did they believe that and th- th- this book contains all kinds of you know you know fairly credible reporting on on what was going on at the white house and that sort of thing but there's a presumption in every single meeting no matter what like nobody would stand up and say hey everybody let's just kind of reset the conversation here Viruses of, of of this sort of been around for millions of years. They always mutate. Uh, we're surrounded by germs everywhere. We have immune systems to deal with them. And and I don't think the government, not even people in this room, have the power to uh, to uh, to control it. And it has to become endemic. We cannot make it go away. We cannot game the r not by controlling human behavior. It 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 has to reach an endemic equilibrium. So therefore. What we need is really clear public health messaging. Number one, that this this is true. Uh, number two, there's a very specific demographic um, that is affected by this thing, and it's and it's mostly uh, people above seventy with comorbidities, and and particularly above eighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even there, you have a ninety six percent survival rate. Everybody else is either going to you know it's going to get it either asymptomatically or for 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 most people, it's going to be a, a either a minor annoyance or, or, or a medium annoyance uh, depending, but then uh, um, it's gonna become endemic and then we're gonna move on. So right. that should be the messaging. But the problem with that message is it makes government sound in a sense powerless, right? Which it is. <laughs> a, it, which it is, but which nobody and all those circles, left, right, center, you know, the bureaucracies, the White House, uh, at the state level, at the county level, at the city level, like there's something about the institution of the government that tempts people to believe that they can do something about it um, and that they should. And if they don't, that they'll all be blamed and uh, the public will turn on them. So that was the presumption from the beginning. Yeah. Now, it's it's clear that there are things that can be done, mostly at the individual level. And mostly people were in a, in, a, in a situation, had they had good information, they could have done it, namely, Protect, uh, protect the old, pe- older people. Older people need to avoid, you know, Justin Bieber concerts and, and so on. I mean, right. that that would have done a lot more. And and, and if Cuomo hadn't shipped people into uh, nursing homes, you know, COVID patients in nursing homes, that would have saved probably fifty thousand lives by itself. But there's there's certain kind of public health messaging that would have been viable, but nobody really considered it. And what's also strange, I'm sorry, I'm talking this kind of blue streak here, but what's also strange is the range of experts that were available during those critical moments between let's say february 1st and say you know april 1st it was very narrow it was like people you know who in the bureaucracy can we tap you know uh, who in the white house should we put in charge of this uh, who is good on television you know these are the kinds of, but but to ask ask like actual you know, epidemiologists who have studied this their entire lives, who, you know, are authors of papers and, and universities, that wasn't even uh, an, an issue. They, they, they didn't have access to him and didn't they, didn't they didn't they didn't they didn't talk to him. They expected like Fauci to channel somehow all of science. So he had way too much power. And way too much influence. And he kept flipping, flopping all over the place. Completely changed his mind somewhere between February 25th, 2020, and February 28th. Mm. Um, you know, on on whether we needed a vaccine at all, whether there were any mitigations measures necessary, whether we should lock down. He flipped. And why he flipped, you know, I'm still trying to figure out. Maybe it's the answers in this book, but I'm not far
1: enough along. Well, I hope I hope you find out. Yeah, I think. I think the the ironic part in all this is that their their desire to look infallible or omnipotent yeah actually ended up demonstrating to anyone who's awake how incredibly fallible they are. You know, like they got this stuff deeply wrong and and repeatedly so and they spoke it with confidence and assured the public that they knew how to handle it and they didn't. And and anyone that's actually, you know, not in the CNN Bubble of just accept, accepting whatever they're told is is now very much awake to the ineptitude that exists in government So in that way, I look at it as a white pill, you know, I, I look at it as like this is so, there is some reason for optimism that Many people who had some level of faith in the government Are now looking at the government like, oh my god, I need to reevaluate my entire belief system I mean, even for, you know, libertarians or anarchists like ourselves, it's like this is This is a level of depravity that I didn't even expect, and I'm a pretty pessimistic person when it comes to the government. So right. um, it's it's unbelievable. And and back to your other point about how this has been in uh, their protocols for 15 years. It was created by a computer scientist. I'm sure you've read about this. That uh, and it was his daughter's uh, high school project that that led him to conclude that this kind of containment was and lockdowns were a a viable option in this type of situation and and what's really wild about it is that they did it for a virus that was only dangerous for the elderly or those with severe comor- comorbidities. Uh, have you have you considered or has anybody done a study on I mean it seems to me we would already have herd immunity had we allowed had we not locked down had we allowed the youth the healthy youth to allow this thing to burn through their systems and to get immunity in that in that way have, do you have any Idea as to how many lives were actually lost and saved. Yeah. Um, that
2: kind of factual is uh, very difficult. Let's talk about that a second. But on the point about Laura Glass and and uh, and uh, and Robert Glass, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, 2006 scientists that were tapped uh, to provide the modeling, right. you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the one who broke the, the stories actually, and and the yeah.
1: Well, I, I forgot who I read it from, uh, so it must have been uh, you. No, it's my, fine. My... That's the
2: great thing about ideas. I love it. But the guy, the guy who tapped them, God,
1: I wish I could remember his name,
2: called me. And this was in, I would say like late April, because he was super annoyed at all my writings. He worked for the Bush White House at the time and was a bit of a model or a container guy, and persuaded Bush that we needed a, a pandemic re- response plan and uh, and tapped. Uh, uh, Robert and and Robert tapped his daughter, uh, Laura, and they came up with this fancy presentation which they gave to Bush. And and uh, Bush loved it because it was filled with with colors and graphs. And, and it was like a PowerPoint presentation about how they would control the whole human population. And Bush was like, that's what I'm going for. Because before then, uh, Bush was like all, f- he had just read the book flap. <laughs> Of, of a book on the 19th. Ni- everybody says he read the book on, on the Spanish food. So I don't believe that. I've never believed that. I think he read the book flap. <laughs> so I don't believe he read the book. I think uh, he believed that. Because <laughs> one thing is the book says quarantines don't work. So I, somehow he I missed that part. So I don't believe he read it. Yeah. But he got all panicked because, and he was a, big, a bit of an apocalyptic president. Like he um, believed that, um you know like the iraq war the shock and awe of the iraq war was the way to the way to deal with all problems so it was like okay what do we do when we have a new pathogen coming you know well the bio warfare you know or just a virus you know from a lab or something and about the same time you know bill gates was getting into the topic too He's like oh my god yeah i got rid of viruses on, on on hard drives that nearly ruined my operating system how do we get what do we do if viruses get out into the into society at large you know he really did not understand the difference between a computer virus and a biological virus. so, so the whole and so they put together cdc put together these these uh this quasi uh lockdown plans even as early as 2006 to do with the avian bird flu mm-hmm. uh you know which which it was somehow uh, got a lot of birds sick but 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 uh, and nobody else so that was a disappointment um and then h1n1 came along in 2009 and Obama was president, but he was dealing with financial crisis, and and uh, the press didn't want to report anything bad going on, so that hardly made the news. So you had to wait another, you know, uh, yeah, eleven years. And um, now your, your interesting question about the counterfactual concerning virus spread, you know, I don't, I don't. This is a very curious question. And I, I have not settled on in my mind, even though I've been thinking about it for 16 months, which is you know whether and to what extent you know uh, these these mass efforts at, at 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 quarantining and keeping people at home and all the rest of it uh, delayed the onset of heart immunity or made no difference whatsoever. I, I I really just don't know. I mean, there's certainly a seasonality in the, into these viruses sure. and. And we certainly see that in the data, Um, you know. And and, and moreover,
1: did did we actually save any lives from any of these protocols? Like, I I really I really question that because obviously you're trading lives with any of these decisions because you had many people that killed themselves with drugs or suicide and things like that, too. So it's i mean i'm not even pretending that it's quantifiable obviously this is far too complex to know i'm just curious if you had some instinct about it
2: uh, yeah and i you know my own instincts you know are worth much but i do talk to a lot and i have for 16 months on the phone almost daily with you know various um experts on the on the whole thing and um i mean i, I hate to say it but their knowledge is, is really as good as as yours or mine i mean uh uh the, the other the other problem is that you know we don't even know what we know. I mean, this is a, another problem. So you know, between the the bad testing, you know, uh, which that testing fiasco, you know, oh my f- God, testing yeah. was a fiasco from the very beginning of this thing, and then you know, as the testing ramped up, um, you know, the the cycle threshold of, of these PCR tests was you know, universally set too high, mm-hmm. uh, as as a kind of a reaction against having gone six weeks of no testing during which time everybody's in panic oh my god do i have the coronavirus i don't have any way to know you know so <laughs> that's I, better sense I'm of still, i've
1: still never been tested i mean it's in, it's incredible how like I can't, I can't imagine why people entrusted the government with this level of power it's just so know. it's so it's just astonishing i can't believe it
2: well <laughs> one of the big problems is that you know, within the epidemiological community and within the literature, there has been this fashion for uh, testing, tracking, and tracing now for the better part of, you know, 15 or 20 years, which they get out of kind of Ebola experience, which, yeah, you know, or even, even even the smallpox issue is was, was, was very interesting, because the eradication of smallpox took, you know, decades, but a lot of that came down to Sort of finding out who had smallpox and then finding out who their contact was, so that you could apply therapeutics and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a certain point to t- testing and tracking. And in the case of Ebola, even even you know isolation I, I, uh, to some extent, I suppose you know which can be done mostly voluntarily. It's not it's yeah. not like you have to have a government plan. Well, isolation but, um, for the
1: sick, not for everybody. For sick. Yeah, right? not for
2: everybody right? Right? else, right? Um, uh, which is what, actually routine right when you go to the hospital and you've got some terrible infectious disease they're like all right you stay here <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not complicated
1: today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at early fruit hemp co go to earlyfruithempco.com. every day more and more people are looking to cbd as a means of relief but with high demand came a flooded market with cbd everywhere and marketed for everything it may be hard to find a product that works for you or one that works at all Early Fruit Hemp CO is an online source of organic hemp and handcrafted CBD, grown and produced in small batches by American families and shipped right to your front door. You can find Natural Leaf at earlyfruithempco.com. Their well-curated selection of craft CBD is sure to have what you're looking for. For two years, they sought out and served their community the highest quality, cleanest hemp flower and craft CBD extracts available, and they are excited to bring that same experience to you. As a special offer, go to earlyfruithempco.com. .com. And if you use the code Liberty at checkout, they will give you 10% off your order. Yeah. You're not going to leap
2: out the window and get to infect people. So you'd actually don't need government involved at any level in disease mitigation. I'm sorry to say you just don't. Unless, except and to the extent you want to have clean water and stuff, stuff like that. But beyond beyond that, I mean, there's nothing, certainly nothing can do, nobody could do about a, a, a a, a demographically heterogeneous uh, a, a virus—you know—that demographically heterogeneous severe outcomes. Um, in This very heterogeneous virus that's constantly mutating, you know, like you get with a, a, a respiratory coronavirus. I mean, this is this is a virus with infinite changes of clothes, right? This is this is not smallpox. It's right. not polio. They're very stable viruses for which you can produce vaccines pretty easily. That yeah. that this work. This is a moving uh, target. Yeah, and, and, and one that's constantly changing and mutating. I mean, you know, that's the other thing that's just great. I mean, God, the messaging on this whole thing has just been chaotic. And people are confused even about the virus, uh, about the vaccines. You know, they think the vaccine is going to stop the virus. It's not. I mean, at best, what it does is slices off, you know, the, the, the spike proteins that cause severe outcomes among the very vulnerable. But, you know, I have a ton of friends of mine that got the vaccine. So now I'm safe. And then they get coronavirus. Oh, okay. I know.
1: I, I mean, it's, it's really wild to me because Chris Paul... Uh, I don't know if you're a basketball fan like myself, but he is the starting point guard for the Phoenix Suns. I know Mm -hmm. basically everybody in the NBA got the vaccine, and he missed three games of the Western Conference Finals – because he got COVID after getting the vaccine. And you would think that given his level of fame and the big platform, that that would have been newsworthy. But everyone's so horrified, and I want to talk about this subject as well, everyone's so horrified about being viewed as being anti-science or anti-vax or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, a Trump supporter, uh, that they can't even have this discussion where it's interesting. Like, that is interesting to me that you get a vaccine, normally you're supposed to be immune, from and getting you believe the disease in and that's people not the case. This.
2: Yeah, I mean, there ought to be some other word than vaccine for the for what we're dealing with here. But they, Like, f- to my mind, uh, this vaccine, while it's enormously helpful for vulnerable communities, um, it's a tool of focused protection, basically, right, um, right. Is has a lot in common with a conventional therapeutic, you know?
1: Yeah, that's and, what I've heard and, people refer to it yeah,
2: as. And less, less common to something like smallpox vaccine, you know? And mm-hmm. why can't we just, admit this. I mean, it doesn't make it bad. It just I makes it, you know, it's a very
1: specific kind of thing. But, but this episode I will not be able to put on YouTube because we have talked about it. I mean, I that's, just said that. That's just yeah, the but truth.
2: I, yeah. But what I just said was told to me
1: yesterday by one of the top infectious disease experts in the country. So I, 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 I know, I, I know, believe me, I'm not, I'm no, not upset with sorry. you for saying it. I'm upset yeah. with YouTube for, for having these unbelievably authoritarian absurd anti-scientific rules where we can't like this is this is my frustration I want to talk to you about this when we're when we're trying to figure out how to save lives that's what we're trying to do and we're trying to talk about how to save ourselves most importantly like I'm doing research on the internet especially over last summer I'm really digging in same as you I'm sure trying to figure out what is my risk what is my family's risk what should I be doing and and as I'm doing this they are they have therapeutics that are being suppressed that that could have helped save some lives. I mean, yeah. is is there a point at which we consider criminal charges against tech censorship for what they could have likely contributed to? I mean, is it not accessory to murder potentially?
2: I don't understand why they they went this direction. I still to this day do not. I mean, it's one thing, you know, they a lot of these companies turned against Trump pretty early on due, due to the trade war with China and everything like that. And and the blocking of H one B visas and I, you know all that I kind of understand. Also, Trump's enormously annoying. Um, <laughs> True, uh, but but why and how it is that they kept up and actually enhanced their and and actually even now they're getting more uh, censorious. You know, after all this time, yeah. uh, even though the journals are all filling up with you know really interesting information about all this stuff. I mean. You know there was an article yesterday and then um in the um Journal of the american medical association in addition to the one about masks it's gotten all the attention mm-hmm. um which i can't believe they published it's probably going to be retracted it's my guess but mm-hmm. there was another one that just said in passing that vir- viruses like this become endemic through uh, uh better discoveries of therapeutics uh, natural immunity and vaccine related immunity so they said those three things very plainly this is the Uh, American Medical Association, very plain, obvious truths. I mean, this is something that everybody's known for 100 years. But you think about, they mentioned three things, right? Therapeutics, natural immunity, and vaccine-related immunity, which is a funny way to put it. There's a dash there, uh, which I actually appreciate. Very accurate summary. But two of those three things have been banned from any discussion on the internet. You know, like, what? It's madness. Yeah.
1: No, I, I, I mean, this is exactly what I'm saying. It's like that they, they, it. This is why this, and since we've already been kicked off YouTube, I'm just gonna go straight into it. I, I can't help but go down a conspiracy theorist route on this because how it is. You, yeah, how could you not? I mean, I, I mean, get it. I try to avoid that, but I, I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, it's just because it makes no sense. Because if you if your interest is in saving lives. Like it, say say you or I are actually in charge of this, God forbid, which I would never want that power. Um, I I would be looking to you know whatever path that could save a life, and if if I if I'm saying to myself, we really need a vaccine or a therapeutic, as they as would be more appropriately described, we need to get ourselves from here to there and we're not going to lock people in their houses because it'd fucking kill a lot of people doing that. So, and it's also going to bankrupt a lot of people. It'll, it'll so social discord. You'll have people that are, you know, in the streets, like we saw all summer, um, you know, it, it'll, it'll just basically tear tear the fabric of society apart. There's no way we can use that as an option. So what's the alternative? The alternative is to have some sort of treatment or, You know, medicine that we can provide people when they get it. So hopefully they don't end up in the hospital, which is the whole logic behind the lockdowns in the first place is that we needed to not have the hospitals overran. That's what they kept saying. But had they been issuing ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or any of these other things, it seems as if that could have helped. Is that an overstatement?
2: I don't, you know, i since I'm not a doctor, I wouldn't know, but I mean, isn't that what we do in this country? We have, we have, uh, you know, throughout my
1: 38 years. Yeah. <laughs>
2: here's, here's the key thing is that that lockdowns override doctor patient relationships. I mean, that's the, you know, it's, it really is a very interesting thing like in the West for 500 years, you know, we've, we've had a good answer to the, the problem of what happens when you get sick mm-hmm. uh, well, you should uh, find t- treatment. And that we have specialists who specialize in that who help you get from from being sick to being well. I mean, right. that's what we thought we were about. I mean, that's <laughs> sort of how we do things.
1: I sure and thought then,
2: Yeah. And then suddenly in 2020, they're like, No, that's bad. What we need is a you know a macro solution. So everybody's equally at risk, and we're gonna just like take complete totalitarian control of everything and everybody in the name of uh, controlling the virus in the, and 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 say that that's good for your health. I mean, we've never done anything like this like no. like ever. Nothing remotely like this. And especially not on a global level. It so, was a tremendous experiment and it's completely flopped as you pointed out earlier and I hope people get the message.
1: Yeah, me too, man. And I and I hope that people are held to account moreover because I I honestly believe that people people have died I mean probably tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people have died because needlessly because of the mismanagement of this and and at some point you would you would think that you need to be held to account for that and you you and I both know no one's going to be held to account fauci's fauci's going to sail off into the sunset on his pension and that's going to be it um, yeah that's you know i just read a book
2: recently about the history of government accountability and oh the authors God. yeah have said that governments are never held to account for anything and that the only time when when that ever actually happens is when you get a foreign invader that, that conquers another people in a war and then, and then put, put the perpetrators uh, of on the trial, despotism, yeah. whatever on trial. Right, and, right. But apart from that, you don't get, well, how many, how many officials in this country have actually apologized? I mean, how many people have, have, have written an article or gone on a news conference and said, do you know, I made a lot of mistakes.
1: You know, there's I mean, there is one, and he's probably the best governor in handling this. It was DeSantis. He said that he should have yeah. never locked down to begin with.
2: It's he's the only one. Uh DeSantis and I think the Prime Minister of Pakistan actually said that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but those are the only two in the whole planet Earth, so far as I know. <laughs> I mean, how could how could this be right? I mean, this it's just doesn't pass a possibility test. I mean, like, in, in our in our country alone, we had let's just say five hundred different uh levels of response to this virus and all of which were slightly different. Um, how can, And yet they were can, all perfect. Yeah. How can they all be
1: perfect? <laughs> the real pandemic is hubris. Why
2: <laughs> isn't that true? And yeah. and, 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 a, and, a, and a failure to admit to error, you know, uh, uh, which is not a, a good lesson in life. Um, no,
1: it's not. And, and so it's I, not-
2: I really am expecting some kind of political upheaval following this. In fact, I've been wondering over the last several months if some of the crackdowns on information controls that we're seeing is get ever more intense, and uh, you know the sort of uh, rallying the troops and and the ever more dogmatism about lockdowns, even though they don't argue for them. There was an article in the Atlantic yesterday or three days ago that said. Where the real problem in this country is that we have uh, federalism, so states can make their own decision, of we course, need that's unified national response, and also individualism, where people believe they should be free to to do their own thing. so this is this is what the Atlantic says. So, and it, it's like and 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 the article didn't give any evidence for this. Right? So one of the things that d- did was was denounce Texas. For uh, for opening it up much too late, but it was in March of of this year, and 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 the writer said in Texas, Texas did this, even though you know there were such and such number of many uh, cases, you know, and and she, 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 her name is Olga something, she was she was denouncing Texas for this, um, uh, but didn't point out that actually cases and deaths plummeted after that, right? Just went down to you know just fell off a cliff.
1: Yeah, so they're, they're, you know,
2: they don't they don't feel the need to even argue the point anymore.
1: No no I, I mean that's that's a hallmark of tyranny. It's like you just whatever the dictate is, that's that's what it is. And, and as they suppress the capacity for free speech and debate, um, they they start to have a real uniform front on the media and academia and political class where people feel I mean I'll just be honest, I have felt crazy over the past year as I'm reading, you know, stuff you're not supposed to. And then oh, yeah. constantly being proven correct. I'm probably because I'm reading you so much. I'm constantly being proven right. You know, six months after the fact uh, in, in the, you know, official halls of officialdom, you know, they, they finally yeah. come around to what we've been saying all along is like, yes, getting sun and being outside and vitamin D are all helpful. And sure, maybe Ivermectin and maybe the masks don't work. And it's like, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's gaslighting on a mass scale, and oh, it's
2: it's even you know, and the fa- the fact checkers are even more extreme than what you said. So, it's it's not just that they think um, that you, you can't say the following, you can't say the following thing, but it turns out that you know, six months later, we are right. right. It's even more extreme than that. Uh, what the fact checkers are saying are doing now is that if you made a certain claim, you know, uh, bef- before uh the peer-reviewed study appeared it's considered your claim is considered false <laughs> so this happened to me on several occasions because
1: uh as, as if uh, there is no such thing as object objective truth that's fascinating
2: yeah yeah this happens to me on several occasions i've had several articles i've written dinged for uh, a fact check and and the, the fact checkers will say well um well it's true that you know six months later uh a, a, a peer-reviewed study you know uh seemed to echo that there's no way that he could have known that. And so he made this claim without right. having, you know, objective evidence. So therefore false. I mean, right. this is, this actually happened to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a level of, of crazy, you that, know,
1: that's astonishing. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to take all of our time on, on harping on the lockdowns, even though I know it's a passion of both of ours. Um, I, what, what I, I I've been thinking about lately is that, and I've also seen some of your, your, um, Speaking events when it comes to cryptocurrency and things like that. Mm. What I what I find fascinating is that I I you know people always say that history um, doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. I think we actually live in a very unique period simply because we have never had the tools of liberty in the technological realm to offset an increasingly tyrannical state simultaneously. And right. and I think that's an interesting dichotomy. And I'm curious right. if you think that it wins out because we kind of live in a Dystopia paired with a, a pathway to utopia, and I have no idea. And and they play off each other because as you obviously as you get more tools for liberty, the the people that are used to being in power um, start to tighten their their fists a little that bit harder. Life
2: is the key. I think what you just said is the key. Uh, mm-hmm. Life was getting better and better and better. We were getting uh, ever freer. And, and if you look at you know what happened after the uh, you know the turn of the the century, um, you know we got ever more. To, Tools and you know the internet was going wild. The app economy was basically invented by the private sector. Mm. Uh, people, you know, the technology prices of, of travel, you know, were were, were plummeting. Uh, people had a new new power in their hands to reach other people and find out new sources of information. The U.S. media uh, monopoly was collapsing, and and uh, you know it was it was kind of a, the a good form of chaos was 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 being unleashed on the world, and especially you know after t- two thousand um uh nine with the with the white paper suddenly we had you know a purely uh, pr- private um, uh, money developing which is like you know a killer app in some way because governments monopolized currency for the better part of 6000 years and suddenly that even that's changing so yeah. i think you know this these trends fundamentally challenged um the model that governments want for society i mean they want they want to rule a kind of a captive demoralized people uh, without a lot of options for getting information uh, without the ability to just you know go here and go there and be- behave freely um, they they don't like that kind of world because that's not a world in which they control and some of me uh, thinks that what happened to us in 2020. 2020 was like a a big you know cuz this is what happened all over the world Every government in the world, with with a handful of of, of a few, decided to use the occasion to remo- remind the planet Earth who is really the boss, mm-hmm. and 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 to, um, to, you know, the shock on all the purpose was, was to demoralize us and not believe that the trajectory towards human liberty was inevitable. It was like mm-hmm. we're in charge. Um, uh, it's fine to use these various. You know you find you're on facebook or whatever but you're going to do it under our terms that is and, a
1: powerful uh, assessment
2: yeah i think this is what was going i think this is what this really was it was an, an attempt to remind the world that 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 this trajectory towards freedom uh was not going to inevitably end up in the collapse of of uh, the of what you would call like simply like the status model of social organization right uh, that this is i think why all the, the, the world's most powerful people agreed all at one moment. It's like, you know, um, the world's Let's going. Let the
1: plebs know who's in power here.
2: Who's in charge? Who's yeah. in charge? And it's like, well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of bad effects on the poor and the working class, and it seems like this might be bad for public health, and we're collapsing economies uh, all over the world, and a lot of people are going to starve. And it's like. Yeah, that's not good. On the other hand, even worse is a world in which government continues to lose power to the point that people actually believe they're free. That—that That is a world we cannot have, you know? Um, so it was it was all about demonstrating uh, p- power more than anything else. Um, that's absolutely th-
1: the feeling I got from it.
2: Yeah, and I, yeah, I did too. I mean, March 12th was a dark day for me because that, that's when I knew it was all going to, it was all going to happen so i thought after march 8th uh 2020 that you know when south southwest was was canceled mm-hmm. that that would co- create a shock and outrage and lead to lawsuits and people would say okay that was a huge mistake it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it was yeah i think it was all about sending a signal uh to the world and it's like you know the more we're abused the more we appreciate um the little bit of freedom we are permitted to have you know provide a government is in charge of taking it away at any time, you know? So that's, and you know, I wrote this in 2006 when I, my very first article on this topic, I said, you know, um, government is running out of excuses for all the things they've done to us. You know, the, the, the taxing, the meddling, the, the controls, the regulations, uh, you know, the, the, the spending, the welfare states, Um, everything there's it's all falling the last time government really did anything that was universally sort of seemingly awesome was like going to the moon or something that was like back in the 60s early 60s or something like that but for the most part government's just an annoyance they can't seem to you know do all the things you're supposed to do you know which is like you know take care of us and give us security and and the reputation of of, of government in general seemed to be on the dramatic decline. Yeah. And I speculated in 2006, I said, so why are they doing this? What's this, what's this new idea of uh, disease control? And I said then, I said, I, I think this is a kind of a last, last gasp of, 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 the, of the state. You, you, know? you
1: wrote that in 06? Yeah. That's, that's astonishing. That, I mean, yeah, that... I said
2: it's, it's, the last, it's the last racket. They've tried everything else.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, who who knew they would have had the hubris to pull it off, or that the pub the public would accept their fate? Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, even even if you talk to a hardcore status, like a big big time capital D Democrat who loves everything the government does, at least in in when they talk about it, if you ask them, you know, how good is the government at doing what they do, even they would be like. Yeah, they'll yeah. be like, oh, it's awful. In <laughs> reality. <Yeah. laughs>
2: so yeah, their vision of government is entirely into in their heads. It has right. nothing to do with which reminds me of the book I'm reading right now. You know, it's it's really hilarious because I've rarely read a book that documents the utter insanity, chaos, cr- crazy, messed up world of government like this one does. It's just fantastic. Um I'll be picking
1: that one up for
0: sure. Oh, yeah.
2: But the authors still have in their mind some ideal scenario under which, you know, the the following great things happen, but it never happens, right? (laughs) So, you know, I think think people's coming to libertarian conclusions about the world is just simply a matter of of somehow finding the hooks to link up their, you know, lived experience for lack of a better term (laughs) um with uh with the the theory about how the world works like it's it's getting those hooks together and and matching it and we're done you know
1: yeah well so what what do you think uh wins out i mean as you as you described in 2006 you saw that essentially the the veneer of necessity for the state or government was kind of running running thin and then this this is obvious, I mean, it's irrefutable that this is a setback, at least over the past 18 months oh, sure. for liberty on the planet. My yeah. God, is it ever. I've never experienced yeah. such a loss of liberty. Do you think that that's a trend that persists or is there a, does the teeter-totter flip back?
2: Well, it, it, you know, I think, I think one way I think about it is to think about uh, Thomas Kuhn's book on the progress of science. And so he he, he he lays out a kind of a model that basically explains thousands of years of of um, uh, paradigmatic shifts and, and what people think about the world. The way it goes like this is that the world settles on a single theory and and everybody has to unite around that theory, and then all the dissidents are purged, and the theory continues to rule the world until things start to go wrong. There's too many what he calls anomalies happening. Like, well, the theory didn't explain that. It didn't seem to explain that. It didn't explain that. And so then a, a couple some dissidents come along and say, well, you know, maybe we're thinking about this all wrong. And at that point, the old guard uh, panics about their power, position, reputation, and social status, and um, they try to kill the dissident you know and and but the dissident gets new recruits typically demographically younger people and that sort of thing and then and then gradually you know they train each other and become students of each other and develop new uh, journals mechanisms social support networks and so on and then and then uh, and then when the, the next crisis hits where the, the anomalies are overwhelmingly obvious that the prevailing theory doesn't actually work, uh, then the new generation gets a, a chance to, ch- to try it out. And um, and then the old paradigm completely collapses. But, but according to Kuhn, now you enter into this very strange period, uh, what he calls a pre-paradigmatic uh, uh, phase of, mm-hmm. of, of history in which everybody's arguing about what should be the new orthodoxy. right. And uh, what will that paradigm be? Yeah. Yeah. What is it, what's it going to be like, what are we going to believe about ourselves? You know, Mm -hmm. how can we, how can we come up with a a model of thinking that actually accounts for, you know, all the evidence around us and makes us thrive and, you know, has some explanatory power about, you know, why I'm, what you know, what what gives me a job, I have you know, what pays the bills, you know, how can I sure, start yeah. a business and so you know, like the, you know, what, a, what what scientific paradigm actually explains the the empirical reality reality that's all around us so there's a pre-paradigmatic phase where everybody's arguing with each other. So I think we might be at the end of the collapse of the of of the status paradigm. Because they, they tried everything as you said, they tried everything to control the uncontrollable and utterly and miserably failed at it. So it's possible that we really might be seeing the complete collapse of paradigm, which would explain the viciousness and censoriousness and and the, just the, the sheer belligerence of, of the old paradigm, of the proponents of the old
1: paradigm now. Sure. Um, this episode is also brought to you by my friend Pete Kenyonez over at Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's not a sponsor of this show, but he is the reason I am where I am. So I wanted to do a special shout out to him. He has a tremendous show, goes very, very deep. If you aren't subscribed to Free Man Beyond the Wall, you are making a mistake. P. Is, is awesome, and I think you guys will really appreciate his show if you aren't already familiar, which I'm sure most of you are. I also wanted to thank some of my supporters, like my friend Clint, who has a uh, a ranch where he does grass-fed beef. I think that if you want to support someone in the libertarian space, go to mc-ranch.com. I would highly recommend, if you are buying that type of item, that you support people that are of the same philosophical beliefs and let's help each other out so go to mc-ranch.com and lastly if you haven't already subscribed subscribe to peddling fiction podcast that's johnny profita's show let's get back into the show
2: but it also is a real opportunity you know not that the the results are sort of baked into the fabric because because we've got a gigantic argument to engage right now I mean, and I think it's going to consume us for the better part of five or 10 years about what kind of world we want to live in. You know, yeah. to, should we live in a world in which freedoms, you know, and and human rights should be considered foundational and inviolable, inviolatable, inviolable. Why can't I say that word? Uh, in, Inviable. Inviable, um, uh, inalienable. You know, should we should we live in that kind of liberal framework that we began to cobble together after the 16th century which gradually made progress towards you know, women's rights elimination of slavery the emancipation of humanity from from arbitrary authority and violence are we gonna are we gonna embrace that idea re-embrace it uh, you know while simultaneously saying other par- other ways of thinking have got us in trouble it's given us wars uh, you know lockdowns um, terrorism uh, death has ma- made the world uglier you know this whole status paradigm has made the world not more beautiful but but more ugly like we need to Say that and recognize that, and we need to have conversations about that, and push this opinion um, out there. And it's going to take courage. That's the other thing. Too many of libertarians are um, scared of being—you know—they get very easily intimidated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, and and so really to push through and win this, it's going to require real, real courage and real persistence and a and a willingness to. Um, to engage honestly and truthfully, but forthrightly, um, uh, about about every aspect of of human liberty and its and its implications, and I think that's the only way we're going to win. Because, I mean, it's not the case like Hegel believes, or for that matter, my description of the Thomas Kuhn model. It sounds as if history follows you know sort of predictable patterns. To some extent, it does, but actually, that doesn't mean it's written. You know, I mean, we we write history ourselves through our through our belief systems and our and our actions we ourselves are participants in the authorship of of our of our futures so it really does matter your podcast really matters you know it really does matter what ideas are in your head because that determines your out your your actions your act outcomes become part of the structure of history so we i believe that with it, not only can we make a difference but we
1: must yep uh, for the for the sake of freedom on on earth Uh, and I I honestly believe the stakes are that high that it's like if we because there is the divide that you're describing I view it as kind of the the woke Marxist push amongst the youth here and then you have kind of the dissident right that believe in liberty and you know liberty over safety that type that's the debate right now and and you know I feel as if you know we we lost that debate over the past year, but it also added to our case. So we have to be able to that's right. we need to realize the loss we took, but also utilize it to yeah. to benefit our, our chances moving forward. Yeah, we so. weren't
2: we weren't prepared. You know, uh, here's the, that's the thing. We weren't really prepared. I, I say we I mean, I my first article against uh, lockdowns was was January 20th, 2020 um where i alerted everybody to the fact that the state had the quarantine powers and that they could be used now i didn't believe they'd be used but I, you know i was warning like this is a disaster we can't right we know quarantines don't work you know but i didn't realize there's gonna be mass quarantines i didn't realize they're going to be quarantining the quarantining of you know the, the, the whole global population <laughs> it's just unbelievable but it was, it was we need but i you know and, but even then, I you know I, I threw myself into virology and immunology and the history of infectious diseases, reading book after book, and really was got ferocious pretty early on about this topic. But what I saw happening out there, uh, and I I, I I wouldn't call it the right. I know understand what you mean when you say that phrase. I would just I would call it you know um, the the liberal party in the old classical sense. You know the uh, people who believe in freedoms. You know, sure. Uh, sure. We we weren't. Prepared to deal to intellectually engage this topic, because it wasn't anything that was really on our radar, you know. um So we took a pass. I mean, again, I say collective we. I mean, but 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 the advocates of freedom just decided to go. Well, can't be the worst thing to sit at home for a couple of weeks, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks turns into a year plus. Uh, I mean, yeah. this is this is why. Um, you know, I came to some level of prominence with a show called Liberty Lockdown that I started in May of 2020. I was yeah. I was one of those people in the libertarian yeah. movement that was like, why is the LP not talking about like this is un- unimaginable what they're doing to us and no one yeah. seems to care. There was no politicians that were out there pushing against it. And I it was know. just like everyone moved in unison towards a completely totalitarian approach to a respiratory virus. Well, oh, I know,
2: and we could go through a list of institutions and thinkers. I mean, I have a secret file in my my hard drive. I will reveal to you that has a list of it's called it's called apostates, and it's just a list of, of every horrible thing that that people should have known better, you know, said. And you mentioned the LP. I, you know, I I, I didn't I didn't really follow that that campaign at a wall, but I di- I didn't follow it because I, I didn't want to be upset because I, <laughs> I, I I I just I, it's funny that well, the way you characterize it because I didn't. Like I just could tell from the early moments that this that lockdowns were not going to be part of this campaign. I, I just just I followed the Twitter feed for a little bit and I thought, you know, I just cannot watch uh, this this disaster unfolding. And it
1: should have been the top thing they were talking about. There was, there was no nothing reason to more talk meaningful. About anything else? There was yeah. no
2: reason to talk about anything else. I mean, you know, and every time I saw any communication, it was like we need to rethink uh, troops in and Korea. I was like, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It's like, if I have a beer with my friends, I'll get arrested.
1: And we're concerned about the troops left in Korea. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. And it's it's funny because, like, obviously, we all care about having all these troops stationed across the planet. It's just like you have to prioritize, especially when it's in politics. You're trying to get to people on how it impacts their immediate life. Nothing has ever impacted people's immediate liberty in my were, lifetime were, so that's what i mean about courage i i
2: just know the lp uh they they were afraid of being criticized they didn't want they didn't want to end up on the front page of the new york times you know libertarian party you know fa- favors uh you know mass spreading of disease or whatever they they were terrified they're terrified of negative press you cannot be no, and make no. a difference i mean the lp was in a perfect and just forget the lp libertarians in general they're in a perfect position to have disrupted the national narrative and they just took a pass oh my I god i mean except for Jesus. you and and me and and i you know and but there's oh. more of us now sure tom woods
1: dave smith a few people yeah. were were very out um, there talking right? but it, then, yeah
2: but but it wasn't it wasn't the big institutions, you know, No, uh, it,
1: it took the dissidents. Th- this is the funny thing. I have always thought of the LP as like the dissident political union of people who hate the state and don't give a shit about public approval. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, they're they're as cowardly as the Democrats and Republicans. Like they have nothing to say about this. I, but, you know, the, the good thing is, is that what it did is it showed it. It was a void that left open for people who are serious about liberty to actually step forward and, and hopefully those people to step back because we need people who are serious about liberty moving forward. And speaking of people who are serious about liberty moving forward, I don't think there has been a better Twitter follow in the past year than you, my, my friend. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, that's
2: really nice. You know, I wanted to say something about, uh, about what you just said. I think earlier you said something like you thought you were going crazy. Yes. And that was one of the reasons that I did too. And I yeah. think one of the reasons we thought we were going crazy is that we had so few allies. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I, after, you know, March 8th, I wrote this article. It was called why this draconian response to the Coronavirus," And it was about the cancellation of South by Southwest. And do you know that after, cause I, to me, I was just like, well, I mean, you can't just cancel an event. You know, that was, that was my attitude I mean, right. like a little bit, a little bit a little bit naive, and I was like, you can't just do that. Um, But I remember about a week or two later, suddenly thinking, oh my God, is that article gonna come back to haunt me? The whole world believes in travel restrictions and cancellations of mass events, school closures, and that it's crazy to go to a convention, and that of course, of course, you need government to go in there and violate everybody's rights and and get rid of contracts and rob people of their plane tickets and hotel reservations and bankrupt hotels and deny this conference, you know, millions of dollars of revenues. Oh, of course, government has to do that. And I remember just watching this, like, am I, am I losing my mind? <laughs> I, and I briefly, I'll confess to you that, I briefly thought about deleting that article because wow. I really thought... There is something I'm missing here. <laughs> you know?
1: right. When you
2: see everyone
1: doing it. something so crazy and you're feeling crazy, you're like, maybe I'm wrong. I, I like, I have to be, everyone is so confident that this is a, uh, and I'll tell you for me as a basketball fan, once again, when I, when I saw the NBA um, game shut down mid game yeah. and then, and then the season get canceled, I was yeah. like, Holy shit. <laughs> like this is, this is very serious because I know, in- I know how much money is in that and I'm just like, if they're going to sacrifice that amount of yeah. money at the time, I was like, well, this virus must be really deadly. Like, it has uh, well, that's be.
2: right. Yeah, that's right. And so it just shows you what fear can do the, to the human mind. You know, mm-hmm. the way it invades all rationality and how focus on on one great, scary thing, you know, vampires, the Jews, you know, just, right, right, right. You know, whatever the the thing is.
1: Yeah, the boogeyman.
2: Uh, yeah, witchcraft. Uh you know, heresy, uh, you know, Protestantism, you know, whatever the thing is at the time. And it could be anything. And then every other threat just kind of recedes. It's like, well, what about the economy? How dare you talk about the economy? Don't you realize there's a virus on the loose? You know, it, it makes people Yeah.
1: Do you know, you care crazy. About, do you care about money more than you do your grandma? It's like, well, I care about both because my grandma has to eat sometimes. <laughs> So you know? yeah,
2: yeah. it's it, and, and just the power of fear, you know, like I didn't know, I didn't know. Well, I, I think I knew in history, the power of fear. Cause I'd read this great book by Charles McKay called extraordinary popular delusions of the madness of crowds where suddenly everybody gets super scared of long hair or, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever the thing and people go, ah, blah, blah. but you know, right. we've all flattered ourselves to believe that we live in a, Technologically sophisticated world of of great enlightenment and learning, and I was the worst offender in this. world because I thought once the internet came along, I thought, oh my god, everybody's going to know everything. You'll be able to check your fears against reality. Well, <laughs> yeah, technology cannot over overcome you know the 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 fundamental failings of of human psychology. You know, it just you can't use technology to to to. To to fix you know the problems with the human mindset, you know, right. we yeah. saw unleashed over the last you know it's like it's no progress. I mean, since the ancient world, we're still the same stupid animals that we used to be. You know.
1: Well, what's uh, interesting about it is that it creates a kind of dichotomous effect where if you're if you're a very flawed person with you know a bunch of just natural human failings that makes you come to terrible I, 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 you know uh, conclusions the internet can just allow you to be more confident in those. Whereas if you're a deep thinker and a critical thinker, having the internet and access to all of that information really broadens your scope and broadens your reach and allows you to, you know, get your message out to so many more people. So it, it, again, it gets to this thing of like, we have simultaneously a new dark ages and a re enlightenment and it's, I'm just, man, I'm hoping hoping the enlightenment wins out. Well,
2: I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I was, I was very good friends with, uh, um, really a great thinker is too often put down. I would say uh, he was a great, great man. It's Murray Rothbard, you know? Oh, um, yeah. And, um, I think I think one of the most disruptive thinkers, you know, ever. I mean, let's not say he was correct on everything and everything theory and not every paper is perfect and so on, but
1: he was Anatomy of great... the State changed my life. So, oh, okay, yeah.
2: good. Yeah, I think he's great. But I, I remember- uh, Sometimes you get more from talking to people than you do from the papers that, although his book on the progressive era is great. But I asked him, I said, you know, look, I was reading. I told him, I told him one time, I said, look, I was reading Mark Twain. And Mark Twain was a good old fashioned 19th century American liberal, you know, of the old sort of libertarian, liberal libertarian. I hate the term libertarian. I actually prefer liberal, but nobody understands what it means anymore. But he- <laughs> I got you. Yeah, but he was very interesting because he would always complain constantly uh, and his books about about the 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 remnants of illiberalism and feudalism and medieval style thinking that that existed in American culture and one of those things was uh, the problem of feuding you know like when um, feuds you know like you know the hat Hatfield versus Nicole, and 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 duels where they actually believed that you could bring out a gun and just stand across the lawn and shoot each other, and, and that's the way justice was rendered. And it used to drive Mark Twain crazy, just like because he just thought it was medieval and ridiculous. But it's very, very interesting to read him because um, you're like, I wish that those were our problems. You know, like he definitely wanted to get rid of this stuff, and he thought that the world could just get better if we would just get rid of these stupid uh traditions mm-hmm. but you know it wasn't you know tw- tw- 20 years later when when the whole world was engulfed in flames with world war one so he, he never anticipated this and I, I asked marius what do you suppose um went wrong with the late 19th century liberals that they um failed to see just how bad things could get that they that that th- they were unaware of of the storm that was coming, any more than what you and I were aware, right? right. Um, and he told me he said the problem was that they had excess optimism and in the inevitability of the triumph of the thing that they believed in, mm-hmm. and that that made them a little bit intellectually lazy, and and rely on some some sort of anonymous dynamic of history to carry to carry their ideas forward. They didn't get that you have to constantly argue. Um, you know, the, the theoretical mapping or mo- a model of, of of a society in, in which people are free. And and he said that they, they began to fail at, at that. And that was his answer. So I, I think we need to, I think that's a really interesting answer. I'm not no, sure it's if prof- it's right, but if, it's profound, but if that's yeah. right, then, then that's what we need to do. I mean, that's what we need to do more than anything else right now through every venue we possibly can is just... Is, is basically that we need to go back to the fundamentals. It's like is society better off uh, being managed by by people with 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 power and, and resources and and who claim to have intelligence and knowledge that they don't have? or are we going to live in a society in which we grant that people have rights? Um, uh, that that freedom should be the default position that people can do what they want that we aspire to have peace and cooperation among people and not a kind of a a, 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 a hand ruling everybody uh, based on a, a pretense of knowledge. like we need to you know constantly be raising you know that that fundamental question and and part of this really does have to address the problem of crises because you know, in the past, you know, people have used the precautionary principle and said, "Well, freedom can be the normal thing, you know, the, the, the you know the, the, the normal expectation. That's fine, it's fine. If you're free, free. But, but if there's if there's communism or if there's terrorism or if there's uh, or if there's I- Islam or, you know, uh, and now you know it's like, of course, in the presence of of infectious disease, you know, we can't have freedom. That's ridiculous. And people are like, really? Is that really true? <laughs> well, so our arguments really do need to take on this problem of crisis and and say something like, even in the presence of infectious disease, of infectious disease, of whatever the demographic you know, impacts, we still need to agree to have human rights and freedom as a, as a, as a primary thing. The precautionary principle does not uh, entitle uh, any uh and uh, in, intelligent, powerful people to override people's fundamental rights. Like we need to, we need to say that, yep. and and stop giving um, the government ex- excuses to violate our rights. Because you know, if you say, well, unless of course, then and you, you know, have nothing. We there, got all ears. Yeah. But what's the What's the of course part? Because <laughs> because I, I think. I think we can work with that. Yeah,
1: exactly <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, I mean that it needs to be the base premise or the you know, almost the first principle that you know, human liberty comes first and and collective you know working together comes mm-hmm. secondarily and and I think that it, you're I'm sure just as aware of this as I am that they are going to utilize this premise um, or this precedent rather as how to address global warming moving forward and and that's why if we don't win this debate um, I think we can expect a series of, you know, quasi lockdowns throughout the rest of our lives. And I have no interest in living in that future personally.
2: No, that's right. And, you know, we should keep in mind too, this debate uh, goes back 500 years. I mean, after the, longer, after the Protestant revolution happened, you know, it was like, wait, well, what, kind of, what kind of chaos is being unleashed on Europe? You can't live in a world in which some people are loyal to the Pope and the other people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, think Martin Luther is a great guy. I mean, that, that will ruin uh, the social order, so the religious wars commenced, you know, in Europe, and uh, and went on for such a long time until finally there was a gradual dawning, you know, kind of. There's wor- there's even worse fate than than having people believe different things, you mm-hmm. know? and that is this constant war, right? You know, right. And and we need to come to terms with that, you know, as yeah. as as advocates of freedom, you know, where the existence of diversity is is you know, uh, just baked in to, to, to the way, uh, a, a free society, uh, you know, operates that so people are going to have different you know, value systems and belief systems that, and, and that's okay. So long as they don't rely on some powerful force outside themselves to impose those views on other people. And they're like, we, we really need to have these discussions with it's And anybody listening to your podcast is going, oh yeah, sure. We know that. Yeah. But apparently we don't know that. I mean, this right. is the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, we don't have a, a cultural consensus alive in the in the world anymore that favors freedom as a, as a default principle for social organization.
1: I think that is the 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 root issue of the culture war, which the, again the Libertarian Party wants to keep their heads out of. And it's like, yeah. this is why we can't, because you have to at, at its at its you know its foundation culturally. There has to be an affinity for liberty or you will end up in tyranny. Like that is just that's where we're going to that's where we're headed, you know, and and I think, um, you know, uh, for for people who have been doing this for a long time, I don't think there has been anyone more on top of the lockdowns, on top of um, just the. The messaging that we needed over the past year, my God, if we could have had you as the uh, the presidential candidate, it would have been thrilling. So it's been a, an absolute honor to speak to you, Jeffrey. I, I thank really you appreciate so much it. for having
2: me. It's great. I'm glad I, I reached out to you, and it's really been fun talking to you. It's lifted up my holiday
1: weekend. So thank oh, you. Oh, terrific. Terrific. Well, I will, uh, I'll leave contact information for Jeffrey in the description for this, but yeah. he's the author of Liberty or Lockdown. So please go check that out. Again, that's Liberty or Lockdown, not like my name here. Um And <laughs> distinguished fellow, over at the uh, Mises Brazil and also a editorial for, or uh, you write for, the American Institute for Economic Research, which is uh, a great place. If anyone's not familiar, they need to be checking that as out as well. Again, thank you so much for your time, sir. It was an absolute blast. Okay, thank you so much. All the best. Take care. Got seven new five-star reviews, and it's because of guests like this. So, thank you guys so much for continuing to support the show. It really means a lot to me. Start with Billy Goat says, great, reasonable slant on our current, quote, slave situation, end quote. Yep, you're right, buddy. Five stars. Uh, We also got The Chill Anarch says, great podcast, awesome format. Have listened to the majority of all the episodes. Looking forward to many years of this guy knocking out of the park. Thank you, Chill Anarch. Appreciate you. Five stars. Heard about this from Skanks. That's awesome. John McPain. Uh, That's... It's hilarious, honestly And then we got uh, 210 Rida, five stars Says Clint spits fire Liberty Lockdown is one of my new favorite podcasts Right along with Part of the Problem And Break the State Podcast We need more guys like these spitting fire for liberty Couldn't agree more If you got it in you, bring it Then we got my friend Annalise the Beast Says uh, promises to keep Incredible show, every important topic is covered In a fair, just, and beautifully explained manner Although Clinton promised me He'd get Dave Smith to say my name And he still hasn't done it Awful friend, but incredible libertarian (laughs) Love you, nerd Uh, Love you too, Elise And uh, I did not promise that, you liar We got K Kappel Says, one of the best Liberty podcasts I first heard Clint on POTP Ever since, Liberty Lockdown has been one of the most insightful shows I listen to Give him a follow over on Instagram At Kerrigan Kappel That's K-E-R-I-G-A-N K-A-P-P-E-L Thank you, Kerrigan I really appreciate that and then lastly, we got Jerry Curled says, Great cast, keeping it focused on freedom. Came across the cast through Twitter, uh, through my Twitter account, and it's great. Every time I listen, I'll prefer them to be a little longer because your tales are great. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. It's at Jerry Curled. That's J E R R Y C U R L D on Twitter. He says, Hope to see more people getting on board. Well, I agree, Jerry. Let's hope. Tomorrow, I have on Carol Roth, who was just on Timcast. She's amazing. You do not want to miss that. And then the day following, I have Lewis J. Gomez, founder of Gas Digital Network, co-host of Legion of Skanks with the great Dave Smith and Big J. Oakerson. Cannot wait to talk to him. Don't miss it. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all.